your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 1, and then we will turn to Deuteronomy 29. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, giving him instructions for public worship, and one of the things that he said, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. One of the things that we are going to be doing this year is reading more Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 1. I am reading from our Immersed Bible. These are the words that Moses spoke to all the people of Israel while they were in the wilderness east of the Jordan River. They were camped in the Jordan Valley near Sulf, between Paran on one side, Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dezahab on the other. Normally, it takes only 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, going by way of Mount Seir. But 40 years after the Israelites left Egypt, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses addressed the people of Israel, telling them everything that the Lord had commanded him to say. This took place after he had defeated King Sihon of the Amorites, who ruled in Heshbon, and at Edri had defeated King Og of Bashan, who ruled in Ashtaroth. While the Israelites were in the land of Moab, east of the Jordan River, Moses carefully explained the Lord's instructions as follows. When we were at Mount Sinai, the Lord said to us, You have stayed at this mountain long enough. It is time to break camp and move on. Go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all the neighboring regions, the Jordan Valley, the hill country, the western foothills, the Negev, and the coastal plain. Go to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, and all the way to the great Euphrates River. Look, I am giving all this land to you. Go in and occupy it, for it is the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to all their descendants." Moses continued, At that time I told you, You are too great a burden for me to carry all by myself. The Lord your God has increased your population, making you as numerous as the stars. And may the Lord, the God of your ancestors, multiply you a thousand times more and bless you as He promised. But you are such a heavy load to carry. How can I deal with all your problems and bickering? Choose some well-respected men from each tribe who are known for their wisdom and understanding, and I will appoint them as your leaders. Then you responded, your plan is a good one. So I took the wise and respected men you had selected from your tribes and appointed them as judges and officials over you. Some were responsible for a thousand people, some for a hundred, some for fifty, and some for ten. At that time, I instructed the judges, you must hear the cases, your fellow Israelites and the foreigners living among you. Be perfectly fair in your decisions and impartial in your judgments. Hear the cases of those who are poor as well as those who are rich. Don't be afraid of anyone's anger, for the decision you make is God's decision. Bring me any cases that are too difficult for you and I will handle them. At that time, I gave you instructions about everything you were to do. Then, just as the Lord commanded us, we left Mount Sinai and traveled through the great and terrifying wilderness, as you yourselves remember, and headed toward the hill country of the Amorites. When we arrived at Kadesh Barnea, I said to you, you have now reached the hill country of the Amorites, that the Lord your God is giving to you. Look, He has placed the land in front of you. Go and occupy it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. 
But you all came to me and said, First, let's send out scouts to explore the land for us. They will advise us on the best route to take and which towns we should enter. This seemed like a good idea to me. So I chose 12 scouts, one from each of your tribes. They headed for the hill country and came to the valley of Eskel and explored it. They picked some of its fruit and brought it back to us. And they reported, The land the Lord our God has given us is indeed a good land. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and refused to go in. You complained in your tents and said, The Lord must hate us. That's why He brought us here from Egypt, to hand us over to the Amorites to be slaughtered. Where can we go? Our brothers have demoralized us with their report. They tell us the people of the land are taller and more powerful than we are, and their towns are large, with walls rising high into the sky. We even saw giants there the descendants of Anak. But I said to you, don't be shocked or afraid of them. The Lord your God is going ahead of you. He will fight for you just as you saw him do in Egypt. And you saw how the Lord your God cared for you all along the way you traveled through the wilderness, just as a father cares for his child. Now he has brought you to this place. But even after all he did, you refused to trust the Lord your God, who goes before you, looking for the best places to camp, guiding you with the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. When the Lord heard your complaining, he was very angry. So he solemnly swore, not one of you from this wicked generation will live to see the good land I swore to give to your ancestors, except Caleb son of Jephunneh. He will see this land because he has followed the Lord completely. I will give to him and his descendants some of the very land he explored during his scouting mission. And the Lord was also angry with me because of you. He said to me, Moses, not even you will enter the promised land. Instead, your assistant Joshua, son of Nun, will lead the people into the land. Encourage him, for he will lead Israel as they take possession of it. I will give the land to your little ones, your innocent children. You were afraid they would be captured, but they will be the ones who occupy it. As for you, turn around and go back through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Then you confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go into the land and fight for it as the Lord our God has commanded us. So your men strapped on their weapons, thinking it would be easy to attack the hill country. But the Lord told me to tell you, do not attack, for I am not with you. If you go ahead on your own, you will be crushed by your enemies. This is what I told you. But you would not listen. Instead, you again rebelled against the Lord's command and arrogantly went into the hill country to fight. But the Amorites who lived there came out against you like a swarm of bees. They chased and battered you all the way from Seir to Hormah. Then you returned and wept before the Lord, but he refused to listen. So you stayed there at Kadesh for a long time. Then we turned around and headed back across the wilderness toward the Red Sea, just as the Lord had instructed me. And we wandered around the region of Mount Seir for a long time. Turn to chapter 29. These are the terms of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites while they were in the land of Moab, in addition to the covenant he had made with them at Mount Sinai. 
Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them, You have seen with your own eyes everything the Lord did in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to his whole country. All the great tests of strength, the miraculous signs, and the amazing wonders. But to this day, God has not given you minds that understand, nor eyes that see, nor ears that hear. For forty years I led you through the wilderness, yet your clothes and sandals did not wear out. You ate no bread and drank no wine or other alcoholic drink, but He provided for you so that you would know that the Lord, He is God. When we came here, King Sihon of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan came out to fight against us. But we defeated them. We took their land and gave it to the tribes of Reuben and Gad and to the half-tribe of Manasseh as their grant of land. Therefore, obey the terms of this covenant so that you will prosper in everything you do. All of you, tribal leaders, elders, officers, all the men of Israel, are standing today in the presence of the Lord your God. Your little ones and your wives are with you, as well as the foreigners living among you who chop your wood and carry your water. You are standing here today to enter into the covenant of the Lord your God. The Lord is making this covenant, including the curses. By entering into the covenant today, he will establish you as his people and confirm that he is your God, just as he promised you and swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But you are not the only ones with whom I am making this covenant with its curses. I am making this covenant both with you who stand here today in the presence of the Lord your God and also with the future generations who are not standing here today. Remember how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we traveled through the lands of the enemy nations as we left. You have seen their detestable practices and their idols made of wood, stone, silver, and gold. I am making this covenant with you so that no one among you, no man, no woman, clan, or tribe, will turn away from the Lord our God to worship these gods of the other nations and so that no root among you bears bitter and poisonous fruit. Those who hear the warnings of this curse should not congratulate themselves thinking, I am safe, even though I am following the desires of my own stubborn heart. This will lead to utter ruin. The Lord will never pardon such people. Instead, his anger and jealousy will burn against them. All the curses written in this book will come down on them, and the Lord will erase their names from under heaven. The Lord will separate them from all the tribes of Israel to pour out on them all the curses of the covenant recorded in this book of instruction. Then the generations to come, both your own descendants and the foreigners who come from distant lands will see the devastation of the land and the diseases the Lord inflicts on it. They will exclaim, the whole land is devastated by sulfur and salt. It is a wasteland with nothing planted and nothing growing, not even a blade of grass. It is like the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zoimim, which the Lord destroyed in His intense anger. And all the surrounding nations will ask, why has the Lord done this to the land? Why was He so angry? And the answer will be, this happened because the people of the land abandoned the covenant that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, made with them when He brought them out of the land of Egypt. Instead, they turned away to serve and worship gods they had not known before, gods that were not from the Lord. That is why the Lord's anger has burned against this land, bringing down on it every curse recorded in this book. 
In great anger and fury, the Lord uprooted His people from their land and banished them to another land where they still live today. The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them. But we and our children are accountable forever for all that He has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. Father, we thank you for your word. It is rich in detail. It is illuminating. It is essential for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit today to speak to our hearts and to guide us into all truth. Give us ears to hear and wills that are surrendered to you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's ask ourselves together this morning. Today, will I merely be a hearer of God's truth? Or will I listen attentively, take to heart what I hear, and be transformed in my thinking so that I can fulfill God's complete plan for my life? Last Sunday, we looked at Numbers 13 and 14. Moses described that moment in what he was speaking to the children of Israel, the second generation. God had brought this generation to the greatest moment in more than 400 years. It was an epic moment in the history of Israel. And yet, when faced with the challenges, they could not trust God. And God said, okay, one year for every day that your scouts explored the land, you will wander through the wilderness. The rest of Numbers contains the story of what took place during that time. Forty years of sand. Forty years of sand. We read the words, and I thought, aren't these words so tragic? And so we turned around and headed back to the Red Sea. After all God had done for them, how far He had brought them, and at their moment of opportunity, They did not have faith to respond. As we said last week, they chose failure. They chose failure. Did you note, as we read, and if you would look further in the Scripture, you would see, God intended for there to be only two years from the time that they came out of Egypt to the time that they entered the Promised Land. Just two years of desert sand and eating manna. Plenty of time to comprehend God's faithfulness. To understand His purposes and His timing for their generation. But instead, two became 40. Two became 40. And instead of the promised land, it was the desert that became their destiny. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 2. Normally, it only takes 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, going by way of Mount Seir. That's where the Edomites live. But 40 years after the Israelites left Egypt. Forty years of sand between their toes. The book of Deuteronomy means second law. 
We read the words in chapter 29. These are the terms of the covenant that God gave in addition to the one at Mount Sinai. The retelling of the law that God had given and the additional requirements are now being given 40 years later. A lot has transpired during that time. But the fact is that this generation, out of all generations in human history to today, had seen and experienced more of God's power and supernatural ability than any other generation. Read the words at the end of Deuteronomy. No one ever was used by God to do such miraculous things as Moses. Never in any moment of human history. This generation saw the power of God like no other generation from Adam until 2023. And yet, in spite of all that they experienced, they could not trust God for their future. Despite all that God had done for them, Israel never learned to trust God and to embrace His purposes for their generation. Read the story. Read the stories both before Numbers 13 and 14 that we read last week. Read what happens in the years following. You will find that for them, God's integrity is always in doubt. His faithfulness is always questioned. His promises have no merit. It isn't very long after they have rebelled against the Lord and refused to go into the promised land that another rebellion breaks out in camp. Korah, Dathan, Abiram, rebelling against the Lord, rebelling against the leadership of Moses. You know what they said? You haven't taken us into the land flowing with milk and honey like you promised us. A heart that had no comprehension of the ways of God, nor any desire to truly trust God and to follow Him. You know, with some people, you're only as good as what you did yesterday. If you don't get it right the way that they want it today, boom. That's how it was with the people of Israel. God was no better than what He had done yesterday. We read the words from Psalm 78 last week. Sure, God's done this. He opened the Red Sea. He brought us through. But can He really feed us while we're out here? Can He really spread a table for us? They never learned anything from what God was doing for them. Instead, we can't go in. There's giants there. We'll never defeat them. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. Let's find someone who will take us back to Egypt. Let's kill Moses and get us a new leader. And for the rest of their lives, the consequence of their faithless, let's play it safe choice, followed them. It determined not only their destiny of death in the desert, but it also deprived and delayed their own children's destiny. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. 38 years passed from the time we first left 
Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the Zered Brook. By then, all the men old enough to fight in battle had died in the wilderness, as the Lord had vowed would happen. The Lord struck them down, one at a time, day after day, until they had all been eliminated from the community. Think of it. Forty years and a future that God had never intended for them or for their children. Daniel, how old are you? Thirteen. Had you been one of those young people at that moment when God said, one year for every day, how old would you now be? 53 years old. 53 years old. All through his young adult life, his 20s, his 30s, his 40s, having to plod through the sand because his father did not have faith. As we said last week, failure is a choice. The Israelites chose failure because, one, they did not trust God. Instead, they sought accommodation for their fears. And two, they placed their personal concerns for sufficiency and safety above the purposes of God for their generation. They failed to understand that their success was not measured by how successful they were in ensuring their future, but how surrendered they were to the purposes of God. Understand this, dear friends. It's not you and I who ensure the success of our future. We need to be surrendered to God. He is the only one who can ensure it. As we have emphasized again and again, it was the greatest opportunity in generations but they chose failure instead of choosing faith. You know what's incredibly interesting, and yet it's not all that surprising? It would appear that this generation never asked God what His purpose was for their lives and their generation. It would appear that this generation... Never ask God, what is your purpose for my life? What is your purpose for my generation? You and I will never fulfill God's will unless we know God's will. We are great at assuming God's will based on our preferences, what seems most appropriate or suitable to us. Friends, let's understand this. Jesus said, my father is at work to this very day, and I too am working. In connection with humanity and human history, God began working before the foundation of the world. Before the beginning of creation, God began working in connection with you and you and you. He didn't just get involved with you when you were born. His purposes began before the beginning of time. Kingsley was talking to me after the service on Sunday last week, saying, you know, when you read this 40 years for every day, I thought, boy, that's really harsh. I said, think about it like this. Look at Scripture. Jesus, according to Revelation 13, was the lamb slain before the beginning of the world. For the purpose 
of people being chosen and their names being written in the book of life. Now we come to this generation. God has chosen it to go into the land, fulfill a 400-year-old promise that He made to Abraham to give him a seed, uppercase S, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ. But they need to go into the land, they need to possess it, so that there will be a place called Bethlehem, where the Messiah will be born according to the Scripture as the Son of David in the fullness of time. This is their assignment, to take the land so that all of the other prophecies will be able to be set in place. At stake is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation of the world. And they are saying, it's more important for me to feel safe, my own form of safety, than it is to trust God and His plans and His purposes for my life. Was God really too harsh? Out of that entire generation, only Joshua and Caleb had their eyes and therefore their hearts set on being part of God's evolving or unfolding plan. On Wednesday evenings, we are taking a deeper dive into what we are looking at on Sunday morning. One of the things that we looked at in more depth this past Wednesday was Joseph. Joseph gave a command to the Israelites to carry his bones out of Egypt, back to the land that he swore to give to our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joseph was the ultimate success story. Betrayed by his family, sold as a slave, imprisoned on false charges, he rises to be the highest government official under Pharaoh. And yet, he understands all the way through that God put him there for the saving of many lives, not for any other purpose the saving of many lives. He can't say to his brothers, remember that dream? You were all bowing down to me? I told you so. He couldn't say that. Can I put myself in the place of God? God intended me to be here for the saving of many lives. No matter how successful Joseph was in Egypt, he never connected his identity with the culture of Egypt. Take me out of here. Carry my bones back. That's where I belong because that's where God's promise is. Many of us are content to stay in the world system. We are content to make our children slaves to the world system because it's safe, it's good, it's successful, it's profitable when God wants to take us to a place where His work is being done and where He is carrying out His purposes. Like Joseph, Joshua and Caleb understood that they were an integral part of God's continuing work and purposes. And they were determined that they were not going to settle for anything less than being at the center of what God was pursuing. have an assignment for all of you who are teenagers. Go home and ask your parents, what is God's purpose for your generation? Not your own. Ask your father, Dad, what is God's purpose for your generation? We need to know. Every generation is integral to God's plan. Unfortunately, many Christians are like 
Israel. We are content to passively benefit from God's blessing, but quite unwilling to play a primary role in His purposes. That would require too much sacrifice. Just bless me, Lord. Make sure my kids do good in school. Make sure their future is okay. Keep us healthy. Thank you, Lord. That's enough. It's never good to settle for a less than future. For the next 40 years, they walked through the sand and they gathered manna every morning. God was faithful. He took care of them. Their sandals didn't wear out. But it was not the best that God had in mind for them. We read the words that, Paul, that Moses said to them, For 40 years I led you through the wilderness. Your clothes didn't wear out, your sandals didn't wear out. God provided for you so that you would know that He is the Lord, your God. Many Christians settle for second best. The preference of an adequate life. Instead of a life that understands the purposes of God in my generation, and listen, embraces all that is unknown. The unknown is potentially fearful. And all that is impossible, the impossible is intimidating. So many of us would rather have it safe manageable, risk-free, then face those fears, face those impossibilities. What happened with this generation became the basis of so much that is written in Scripture. This generation is immortalized for all the wrong reasons. We read from two psalms last week. It's just a handful of many psalms that refer. Even when we get to the book of Hebrews, this generation and their failure is still being talked about. In Psalm 81, if my people would only listen to me, if Israel would only follow my ways, how quickly I would subdue their enemies and turn my hand against them their foes. I hope that you will be inspired to go back and read this week. I hope that you will go back and read Deuteronomy. Read the first four chapters of Joshua. It's where we will be next week. If you and I read just another chapter further in Deuteronomy, if we read chapter 2 today, we would find that when this generation, after all of those my age, had died off, when that generation began to follow the plan that God had for 40 years later, Bang, bang, bang. One after another, the kings that came out against them, God took them down. All they would have had to do is act in faith. Say, yes, God, because he was going to go ahead of them and take care of all the things that were intimidating and all the things that were fearful. It wasn't on them. It was on him. He had placed it on him. But they would not trust him. So now all of those who would not listen have died. Forty years of delay. It's a new generation now being confronted with the purposes of God.
just two survivors from the failed generation, Joshua and Caleb. God is pushing the reset with this next generation. They will inherit the fulfillment of the 400-year-old promise. You see, God's plans may be delayed by those who are faithless. It may be that God has to move on to another generation, another person. I remember that one of the things John Melinde described when he first came to be with us, how when God began to speak to him of what he was calling him to do, he went around to the spiritual fathers in Uganda and shared it with them and asked for their blessing since they were the elders. More than one said to him, I am shamed today because God told me to do that 20 years ago, 40 years ago, and I did not obey God. As we read, there are some secret things that belong to God, but whatever God has revealed to us, we must obey. So let's understand a couple of things about the purposes of God. We read in chapter 29 over and over again, as Moses was emphasizing the covenant into which they were being called, the agreement that they were accepting. The first one took place back at Mount Sinai. When God said, I am choosing you to be my holy people. And they said, we choose you to be our God. And we enter into a sacred agreement. You will be our God. We will be your people. And we will serve you faithfully. You see, the purposes of God always involve partnership. Whether it's Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, the Lord Jesus Christ, the apostles, the church. The purposes of God always involve partnership. It is through a covenant partnership that God executes His purposes here on earth. How will the whole world hear the gospel? Because angels come down from heaven to preach it? Because the apostles are raised from the dead and come back? No, God enters into a sacred agreement, a covenant partnership with each generation. The Apostle Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God was in the world, not counting men's sins against them, but reconciling them to Christ, and He has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. We are God's voice through whom He implores this world be reconciled. In this covenant partnership, God, for His part, brings His full commitment and His infinite sufficiency. God is fully committed. He is infinitely sufficient. You and I, for our part, must bring our full commitment and obedience. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 6, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. If asked today, I'm sure that all of us would say, yes, I love the Lord with all my heart, all my strength. We readily affirm love for God and obedience to His commands. But we often diminish their absolute nature and their applicability 
to our lives. And we do so as though certain aspects of faith, obedience, and commitment are intended for other people, but not for us. But a true disciple of Jesus is measured by his obedience to all that Jesus has commanded. In John 14, verses 23 and 24, Jesus replied to his disciples, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Let's understand what happened with this previous generation. Remember that they had entered into covenant relationship with God at Mount Sinai. But the meaning of covenant relationship or covenant partnership had been completely misrepresented and distorted by them in the example that they gave to their children. And now God needed, all over again, with this generation, to reestablish partnership and relationship on a covenant basis. Three aspects, love, commitment, obedience. If we love Jesus Christ, we will be committed to His will, and we will walk it out in obedience. When the Lord your God heard what you said, He was angry and solemnly swore, No one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give to your ancestors, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he set his foot on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Parents, let's understand this because this is what we see in God's Word. Our greatest success or failure as parents will be in the example that we set for our children in faith, obedience, and covenant commitment to the purposes of God. Our greatest success or failure. Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. So, what future will we choose? We're not only choosing for ourselves, we're also choosing for our children. Notice that we read Moses saying, I'm standing before you today and declaring this, and it's not only you and your children, it's the generations yet to come. God never acts in a vacuum. I said earlier, his involvement with your life did not begin when you were born. God never acts in a vacuum. He does not act in an incidental manner, in a way that's not connected to whatever else he is doing. Whatever you and I experience of blessing and provision, it's part of God's larger agenda of causing all things to work together for good according to His purposes. Romans 8, 28. In other words, God is always working to build our faith and prepare us for greater effectiveness and fruitfulness in His work. As we did last week, let's think back again over the last three years. Throughout the pandemic, 
God's purpose in giving us a life-sustaining, death-denying promise and leading us deep into prayer was for more than just keeping us alive. Throughout the pandemic, God's purpose in giving us a life-sustaining, death-denying promise and leading us deeper into prayer was for more than just keeping us alive. It was to strengthen our faith and obedience, individually and as a community, and prepare each of us for a greater mission, individually and as a community. Remember what Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You didn't choose God. He chose you before the beginning of time. In this generation, He has appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. As we went through the pandemic, I watched what was happening in the hearts and spirits of certain people as they were on the prayer calls at noontime and in the evening, day after day, month after month, and then it turned into year after year. One of those people prayed a very impassioned prayer last Sunday evening in our evening service crying out to God that because of something I had said last Sunday regarding K.P. Yohanan and his mother fasting on Fridays for three years and praying, Lord, call one of my sons to be a missionary. That prompted this person in our community to pray on Sunday evening, crying out to God with such passion. God, this is what I've been praying. I heard what Pastor Don shared. Call my sons from where they are going in life to serve your purposes and do your work. When I talked to this individual later on in the week on a noontime prayer call, she said to me, Several things. I share them with you. We pray for missionaries, but don't include our children. They should be part of this prayer. It's not about culture, education, degrees, being a doctor, being a lawyer. It's about asking God what He wants us to do, and yet we never ask God, what do you want me to do? And then she concluded by saying, I pray, I cry out to God over and over, please let me take the rest of my life and travel around the world using my skills to serve you. Here's someone who's understanding that God has a purpose for us in his generation that is integral to his ultimate plan in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of you, no matter what your age, you need to go before the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer this week and say, what is your plan for my life? Amen. If you've never asked God, what is your purpose for my generation? You need to ask Him. Yes. If as parents, you're letting the counselors at school who know nothing about God's purposes 
help your children decide what their future will be. You need to repent of that. Don't put their future in the hands of someone who does not know the will of God. Go before the Lord in prayer, just as you dedicated them. I will raise them to fulfill your will for their lives. God, what are you calling them to do and be? When we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, it won't matter how successful we have been in this world. The only thing that will matter, did we do the will of him who chose us? Were we faithful to his purposes in our generation? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we know you today as our Savior. We thank you, Father, for the faith that you have imparted to our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for making us alive in Jesus Christ when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. The fact that we know you today has nothing to do with us. It's all your covenant commitment to us. This is the new covenant in my blood. We come to your table and we say, there's no life for me except you. I eat of your body. I drink of your blood. You are my life. Lord, we want to ensure that we do more than just believe in you. For even the demons believe and tremble. We want to be obedient to you. We want to be led by the Holy Spirit. We want to fulfill your will. We want to know what your purposes are for us, for our community, for our generation. We want to be like David. You say in your word that David was faithful to God's purposes for him in his generation. May that be said of me, O God. May it be the desire of each of us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would take your word and you would cause it to shape our hearts and to people who fully embrace your covenant desires and are more than ready to do your will. May we be fully surrendered to you May we be known by the angels in heaven and the demons in the spiritual realms that we are a people who are fully surrendered and that we have no other priority than to live for the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ who lived for the honor and the glory of the Father. We pray that if there are other idols in our lives, we pray if in other ways we have diminished or exempted ourselves from priorities, from obedience, from a level of commitment where I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, that you would lead us to the place of surrender. the place where we experience your greatest blessing, the place where we are able to do all that you have called us to do, the place that will cause you to say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. So I commit this work to you, Holy Spirit. It needs to happen in my life. It needs to happen in my family. It needs to happen in this community. 
accomplish it, O oh God. In the name of Jesus, I pray.